it's interesting your reference to pencil of nature because most intuitively people understand that the light fade testing system has to do with a dosage a megalux hour dosage of light which induces or causes changes changes however you have recently published some information that has to do with a somewhat counterintuitive finding with regard to changes that occur not in light but in darkness the the conventional wisdom understanding understand the conventional understanding of light fading and light light induced discoloration is that you expose the sample to a given dose of light and then you can actually see and measure changes that have occurred directly as a consequence of being on display. So you can measure it immediately. Once you've accumulated the exposure dose, you go measure it immediately and say, oh, yes, it's changed. That's the way all conventional light fastest tests are, are done. The, why would you wait for six months or a year to take the measurements? You, you got the dose finished. You've put it out in the sun for X number of days and measured how much exposure has accumulated or it's in an indoor setting where you've again monitored how much light is being exposed or it's on an accelerated test fading unit and you've again monitored how much dose has occurred and then you say well what happened and then you make the measurement and when you do that you capture the state of that object right at that point that matches up with the exposure dose that you have measured. So that's all great. That's how this work has been done. Well, the, back in the chromogenic color era, there was, um, there was literature references to some staining and discoloration that was occurring in the dark after an object had been exposed to light after a print had been exposed to light that yes it was measured and it was recorded and it had changed but then if you come back later you see that there is additional discoloration that is going on in the dark it's not getting more exposure it's just accumulating additional yellow stain the first published results that describe the phenomenon I'm about to describe to you in more detail is uh, appeared in, in, a, in a very seminal work called The Care and Permanence of Color Photographs. Uh, it was published by Henry Wilhelm in 1993 and he described certain experiments where there was yellowish stain formation occurring after an exposure had been occurred. Uh, had had yeah, after an exposure after, uh, after a period of exposure so um now it was never named i i, I it, it was called yellowish stain formation and and it was described sort of the circumstances under what what was happening but it never uh it 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 didn't become a large subject of continuing research which is regrettable because I th it warrants that it, it did become a more extensive um, 
question in, in the conservation literature. But it, it kind of flew under radar for a number of reasons, and, and it actually caught me the same way, is back in that era with wet process color chromogenic prints, everybody was taught, and it was correct, there were truths in it, total truths in it, that if you didn't process the print correctly, if you used, you know, exhausted fixer and, and, and you didn't wash it correctly, that you could get yellowing and discoloration that would occur in the dark, had nothing to do with light exposure. It, you would just see yellowish stain formation occurring because of the inadequate processing. The other thing that was well understood in the industry is that those materials, because they were the color chromogenic dyes, were formed in the process as a result of the interactions between the developer and what's called residual color couplers. These are, these, this is chemistry that was incorporated in the emulsion. It triggered the dye formation. But when you're done and you have thoroughly processed and you've done your best to make sure that the processing was absolutely flawless and all the chemistry was fresh, you're still, you're still left with residual color couplers in those materials. And guess what? They yellowed over time. They were thermally unstable so that they would start to develop stain formation, and it was a thermal aging phenomena. It had nothing to do with light exposure. So when we saw out in the real world and conservators started to get examples of prints on display that had yellowing, the natural conclusion that was associated with the yellowing was that it was the cause of poor processing, or residual color chemistry, or both. And it was, in, to the extent that there was a light-induced yellow stain formation, just flew under the radar, because it, it's a confounded experiment. You th you've got two good reasons why yellowing occur. You see a print on display that's yellowing, and you go, oh, I know why that is. It's the residual color chemistry is now aging, or the, the color couplers are changing, or, um, or it just was poorly processed. So we had good reasons to think we understood all the kinds of yellowing that took place. So that's the background on this. Flash forward to the inkjet era. Now we've got RC photo materials that don't have residual color couplers and silver gelatin or silver halide chemistry in it. We have, inkjet, we have an inkjet receptor coating and it doesn't have any of these. It, it's not subjected to wet processing or exhausted developer and fixer and washing. It's, it has none of that, and it has no residual color couplers. And, and yet, what happened for me was that I was retiring all these tests that had been done as part of the database that you now see on the Ardenberg website. We've got over 300 test samples, and many were retired several years ago. Um, the test was complete. We had our measurements, and then I just put them away in a, in, a, in a file cabinet, reasonably well controlled, moderate humidity, room temperature keeping. And I came back and I looked at them and I saw that many had severely yellowed that wasn't there at the time we measured the last light fade exposure um, readings. They had developed additional yellowing. And for lack of a better word, I, 
I started naming it, and we we could come up with an 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 acronym. That's the right word, I think. You could come up with an abbreviation. I could have called it light induced dark storage staining, but I settled on LELIS, which is light induced low intensity staining, and it it has to do with the nature of the of the yellowing. So here's the thing. The yellowing, the reason it was suppressed and we weren't seeing it when we immediately measured it is because it's a metastable yellow compound. It's a discoloration that can actually be light bleached. So as long as you keep dosing this thing and keep accumulating light exposure, you're suppressing this particular reaction. But the minute you let off on the gas pedal, so to speak, you take away the light, this reaction now is allowed to form yellow stains. So you have one mechanism, the light intensity, kind of suppressing the yellowing as, as these degrading compounds are occurring. But the minute you take away the light exposure and the light bleaching activity, these things are now allowed to become move from a colorless state into a yellowed or, and discolored state. So... And it turns out that if you start to, we did some basic experiments on this, but but it turns out that there's a certain level of light where the light level is balancing, the, the amount of staining that's occurring is now being suppressed in a kind of a balanced way with the amount of light. And I and, and that's something that need, requires further study, but I suspect it's somewhere in the 200 to 500 lux range. So that if you're below that, if you have a print on display at say 50 mega or 50 lux, the ability of the light to keep it suppressed and bleaching is not going to keep up with the pace at which the stain is occurring. So, okay, so it's they're sort of out of balance, and and it, and the the end the the extreme case is when you go put it in the dark. You put it back in a storage box. So you put it in very careful conservation grade document boxes now it's totally in the dark now you're allowing that stain to occur as at a rate that's as fast as it's going to be because there's no light component to try to keep it suppressed and bleach back to sort of a paper white so that's it's it's a it's a it's a it's an odd reaction in that sense but once you start to realize that this is happening then the next part of the research is to figure out, well, why is it happening to some materials and not others? And we've spent quite a number of years studying that and looking at which samples had the problem, which samples don't. So the good news is there are modern media out there that simply don't have this leeless, light-induced, low-intensity staining reaction. Once you retire them to dark storage, they remain exactly as they were. They, they're not... They're, they're not building any additional yellowing if you if you initially stored the work in the dark without any exposure to light would it occur well that's the classic way you determine with a sort of a control sample that it in fact is light induced so if you take a sample on day one that's been made exactly the same time with exactly the same ink set, exactly the same media, in fact, the very same batches of ink and media, and you just put one in the dark to begin with. You don't light fade test it, right? Well, if it's a thermally building process or if it's gas contamination that's occurring in your lab, 
you're going to see the staining occur in that sample. So when you get two years out or three years out, you're going to say, well, here's the one that stayed always in the dark. Here's the one that got 50 megalux hours of exposure and then got retired of the dark, but they're both the same age. But you're going to find that the one that, if, if, the, if the media has this problem, this phenomena, you're going to see that it is now sub significantly more yellowed than the one that never saw any light exposure. And that's how we prove definitively that it is a light-induced problem. But it's also one where if you take the faded sample, or I'm sorry, if you take the discolored sample and throw it back into a high light intensity, you can actually bleach it and kind of clean up the problem. So, well, that sounds like that's a perfectly good conservation method, right? We'll just remove the yellowing by bleaching it a little bit more under lights. Well, it's you're caught in a you're caught in a loop. It's a loop you can't get out of because the minute you retire it back into dark storage, it starts coming back. So, in. have you gotten to the bottom of what is causing this? Yeah, it, when we looked at all the samples that have it, the smoking gun is two things: it's optical brighteners, but it's optical brighteners in media that also use as a whitening pigment titanium dioxide. So if you have a media where the whitening layer is predominantly titanium dioxide and not, for example, barium sulfite or not whitening from earth minerals and silica and, and, and calcium carbonate and other things that can also make a paper whiter than its sort of, sort of its natural state, um, what you find is that it's when you've included titanium dioxide and you have nearby sort of within the same layer, you've got optical brighteners. These two don't play well together. It, it's the, there's a reaction between the titanium dioxide, when it's exposed to light, it actually will generate free radicals that become ultimately hydrogen peroxide, and that hydrogen peroxide can actually attack parts of the, of the, of the image chemistry. And what appears to be happening is that they're interacting with the faded optical brighteners. So the optical brighteners have to fade. They have to go colorless to begin with and lose their fluorescence. So you get an immediate measurement using I-star or Delta. You can say, oh, it's already yellowed somewhat, but what's the yellowing caused from? Well, that part of the yellowing is just the loss of fluorescence, the loss of bluish whiteness occurring from the fluorescing dye. So so the optical brightener fades. You lose a certain amount of, of uh, it moves a little bit more yellow because it doesn't have the blue-white kick of the fluorescence. That's all great. This is where people say, well, it's just reverting to a natural state. The product right now, the degradation products are colorless, but what's happening is that over time in the dark, there's a thermally induced reaction now occurring that's causing those colorless those colorless faded optical brighteners to in fact become stained and they add additional yellowing and that's what's going on so the good news is that we have printmakers have materials that do not have this problem the bad news is that there's a wide variety of materials out there often called archival that in fact do have this problem. And it's, it's almost 100% guaranteed that if you're using a resin-coated uh, media right now, for example, resin-coated photo, 
Um, and it doesn't matter whether it's wet process resin coated or whether it's inkjet receptor layer coated, it's going to have some of this staining problem, which, again, Ardenberg has just coined the term Lelis. I've never, I don't like that term. It's, it's not a, it, it's kind of a, it, it seems awkward to say it, Lelis, but it could have been called lids, light-induced dark staining, but that's not exactly what it is. It actually just requires a very low, it just needs a, an exposed piece of material that has enough exposure on it that the staining will occur, and then it has to simply be put in a low enough intensity environment, of course the ultimate being dark, but it could be 10 locks, 20 locks, 50 locks on display, maybe in a hallway where the stain is now allowed to form. And again, going back to what I said earlier, we didn't, the conservation community really didn't pick this up in the 1980s and 90s because we just kept blaming it on residual color chemistry. We kept blaming it on poor processing. We don't, with inkjet, we don't have poor processing. That media white that doesn't have any ink on it has no other chemistry other than what was there from the manufacturer and on day one. And, it, and, and none of it is, is residual color chemistry that's meant to form dyes or any of that. So that's really what's happening is that the modern, this modern era has allowed us to, to see this problem in a way that we never really understood it before. So it, again, to, to, to be fair, it, it was observed as an issue in the early 1990s and was reported by Henry Wilhelm. Uh, it wasn't called LELIS. That's kind of an Ardenberg acronym, but, but it was described well enough that I know that, that it was observed in the media at that time, but it, the context in which it happened wasn't fully understood. Uh, we just simply didn't have... We, we simply couldn't untangle or unconfound all the variables that were occurring in that era. Now we can, and now we can see it, and um, it's significant. And I, I also think I'm optimistic that the industry can actually fix this. Uh, it's not a tough thing to fix, but we have to bring it, people have to bring it to one's attention before somebody's going to actually fix the problem. And I think in the past, we just didn't even know how to bring it to a manufacturer's attention that here's a staining issue, this is what's causing it, can we work to fix it and improve it? And the answer is not only can we fix it and improve it, but we actually have media out there right now that don't have the problem. So the, the take-home message for my audience right here is that if you want to work with media that doesn't have the problem, the best way for you to do it right now, barring technical understandings of how the material is made, is just simply to choose OBA-free media. Pick a paper that doesn't have optical brighteners, and you have now eliminated the possibility that it's going to have these additional yellowing problems. Um, can you always do that? No. If you want to print on RC media right now, at this point in, in the history of, of digital and media and traditional media, every single RC paper out there has got both titanium dioxide and optical brainers in it. Now, there are some that are better and some that are worse, but they all have it to a certain degree. The ones that are the best 
and have the least amount of trouble are also the rarest. In other words, they they have the optical brighteners only in the paper core and not in the polyethylene and TiO2 layers if they're in RC media. And so they're out there, but they're very limited. They're basically in the proofing paper market, and they're not in the photo paper market per se. So they exist, but it also is a roadmap for the manufacturers to actually improve this. And we can do better, and we can get products out there that are RC media that will not have the problem. It's just going to take some time to for the manufacturers to come up to speed on the issue and then to give us good choices. So in the meantime, the way around it is just to pick media that are, that are free of optical brighteners. And you won't, again, you won't find that easily. In fact, you're just not going to find it right now if you're looking for a resin-coated paper. But you will definitely find it in fine art media and in the traditional fiber media where they simply don't have TiO2, polyethylene, or optical brighteners. Um, and the, there are fairly simple ways, and, and I think we can, we can do this in, in, in future podcasts, and we can describe how to actually prove to yourself how to, how to, you know, how to prove that you have a media that is, in fact, free of optical brighteners. Um, it's a very simple test with a UV LED flashlight, and you can see that it fluoresces under the UV, and at that point you can say, okay, it's got optical brighteners that may, it may have the, the, the LELIST, the light-induced low-intensity staining issue. Here's one that doesn't have any optical brighteners. Good, that's not going to have the problem. So you can, you can screen these media yourself without waiting for an Ardenberg test report if you happen to have a new media that we haven't tested yet because there's a lot of media out there. It's a, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of work to testing these materials. So I wish we had tested them all or could test them all, but we, you know, we, we go as, we, we do it as fast and as best as we can. Um, but if, if there's something that you would like to use as a media and we haven't tested it yet, you can quickly screen it for, many of the times the manufacturer will just tell you it does or doesn't have optical brighteners. But, but if there's any confusion whatsoever, you, you can easily quickly check it yourself. And if you can come up with an OBA-free paper that you like and you want to print on, it's not going to have the light-induced low-intensity staining issue.